On Canyon Ridge's 19th anniversary, listen in as Pastor Chadwick gives us reasons to praise the Lord. As we come to Psalm chapter uh, 29, it's a significant psalm for a lot of reasons. It mentions the word Lord in these 11 verses 18 times. If we were add the, to add the use of pronouns and mentioning of God and king, and, and the word king there is not earthly king like King David, but the heavenly king of God Jehovah, uh, then he is mentioned no less than 25 times in 11 verses. This psalm written by David is a sequel and it's important to understand this because you remember every text has a context and every context has a chapter and every chapter has a genre. And in this genre of poetical psalms, or the book of Psalms is a poetry book, and, and, and 28 and 29 really, 28 can be understood without 29, I think, I believe. But 29 really needs 28 to help us understand exactly what's going on in there. And so the psalmist David, the king, writes a sequel to Psalm chapter 28, and it's a very, very powerful and helpful psalm for sure. Psalm 28, David is expressing his fear. In Psalm 29, David is talking about victory. We see in Psalm 29, uh, verses 1 and 2, uh, a little different style of message, if you will, but we see in verses 1 and 2 that we are to praise the Lord for personal victories. Psalm 29, 1 and 2. We're to praise the Lord for personal victories. Would you look at Psalm 29, 1 and 2 with me? Where the Bible says, Given to the Lord, O you mighty. Given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. This is a, a time where... David is writing, and in this companion psalm to Psalm 28, what we understand in Psalm 28 is that there had been a great rebellion in the land, a tremendous, if you will, for lack of a better phrase, a tremendous uh, civil war. It was tremendous. David had been through one before with King Saul, but this one was far worse because the leader of the opposition party to King David was his oldest son and most treasured son, not oldest, but most popular son, Absalom. So David's life is in jeopardy because his oldest son, Absalom, wants to have him killed and is trying to have him killed. I mean, it's a very, very dark time. I mean, it's bad when somebody wants to attack you. It's really bad when your son wants to attack you. It's really bad when your children want to destroy you. I mean, this is a, Psalm 28 is a, is a time of, of tremendous heartache. Look at verse number one of Psalm 28. Unto thee will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry unto thee, when I lift up my hands toward thy holy oracles. Let me just say, sometimes people lift up their hands in praise to the Lord when he's done good things and you ought to. But sometimes we lift up our hands in, in desperation to the Lord when we need him. That's what David's doing in verse number two. It would be similar to this, like, God, if you don't come through for us, we're done. God, if you don't give us the victory, we are without hope. God, we have to have you to come through for us because if you don't come through, we're through. 
Verse number three, draw me not away with the wicked and with the workers of iniquity, which speak peace to their neighbors, but mischief is in their heart. Give them according to their deeds. Talking about the enemy, Absalom's assuming it is Absalom. We don't know 100% sure, but we assume that His, historical uh, evidence kind of points to that. So we want to be careful not to say dogmatically, but it seems that that is certainly the, the case. In verse number four, give them according to their deeds, according to the wickedness of their endeavors. Give them after the works of their hands. Render to them their desert, because they regard not the work of the Lord, nor the operation of His hands. He shall destroy them and not build them up. I mean, David's essentially saying, God, if you don't come through, we're through. God, if you don't do something here, nothing else will be able to be done. It's going to be over, God, if you don't show up in this circumstance. My son, we're making a a little bit of assumption, not much, but a little bit. My son Absalom has the majority of the military. He controls Jerusalem. He has the weapons of war. Absalom is trying to have me killed. He, He knows exactly how I operate. He knows the way that I think. And God, if you don't come through, we're through. You ever been in that place in your life? Where God, if you don't come through, we're through. Some of you are there right now. You're like, Lord, if you don't do something right now, we're toast. It's over. I remember 21 years ago when God called me and Debbie to come to San Diego and start a church. We had Judith and Natalie. We had no idea what to do. Now, those of you who don't know, those are my two daughters, Judith, who's sang up here next to my wife, Debbie, this morning, my younger daughter, Natalie, who teaches at West Coast Baptist College, and, and then there, that's their older brother right there, that's taken in our house in Amarillo, Texas, and, I, and we're eating some kind of ice cream, and those were good days when you ate ice cream and it didn't show. 21 years ago, we had no idea what to do. I mean, literally, we had no idea what we were doing. So we felt God called us to San Diego to start a church. And so I was like, okay, we're going to go to San Diego and start a church. And somebody said, you ought to read books about church planting. So I did. I read both of them. Why? Because there were two. I took notes on them too. I, I took notes in the front and the lid. I had a little list and, and I did all those things. I began to talk to church planters, anybody that I could find. I interviewed both of them too. I mean, it was, it was great. And, and I started calling friends and I began to attend conferences. I mean, who would support this guy? That was a long time ago. Nothing much has changed there. Debbie's gotten a little bit older. I look about the same. We sold our house in Amarillo, Texas, where I was serving as a youth pastor and assistant pastor for the previous six years, and we determined that we would use the profits to start Canyon Ridge Baptist Church, so we sold our house for as much money as we could get out of it, and we had a profit of $400 after living in it four and a half years. It was a great time to sell your house. It was a buyer's market for sure. We saved every penny we could. We put into account. We'd travel around to churches and share our story. And, and the eight that would let us come and talk about coming to California, I don't know if you know this, but around the country, a lot of folks don't like California. 
And so some people had kind of written California off, but we were able to save as much as we could, and we raised as much money as we were able to raise, and we we had $1,800 a month in what is called support coming in. So we were going to live, Debbie and I and my my two daughters, Ruth and Natalie, we were going to live on $1,800 a month in San Diego. At the time, it was the second most expensive city in the United States. Today, it's only the fourth. I wish we were a little bit lower. We rented a house over in Sarah Mesa for uh, $1,700 a month. We had $100 left over to do whatever we wanted to with, like we could buy food or gas or get electricity or water or anything. I mean, we had $100 to spend on anything that we wanted to spend our money on. We had sold our house, we had sold a car, we had sold furniture, we saved every penny that we could, and we arrived in San Diego with $1,800 a month support and $20,000 in the bank to start Canyon Ridge Baptist Church with. And $1,700 a month required a first and last month's deposit, so there goes money. And then you had to get your car registered in the state of California, and that was a three-day visit to the DMV. And then you have to pay all of that money. And then we had money to rent a building, and then we had to buy everything that we needed for the church. We had to buy things like nursery equipment, tissues, dollies to put stuff around, donuts for the first service, advertising in the phone book. How many of you remember what a phone book was? Yeah, we used to have those. The internet was kind of new back then, and, and uh, we, we had a website that nobody could find. I paid a guy to build it. He said he was really good at it, and he was good in his own mind. We had to print flyers. We were in such a place, if I could be very candid with you, that if God didn't come, didn't come through, we were through. I mean, we were through. We weren't ever going to have a first service. We'd never have a second service. You wouldn't be here and nothing would happen. It's kind of like Psalm chapter 28 verses 6 to 9 where David said, Blessed be the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my supplication. The the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him. I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song will I praise him. God heard their prayer. God protected his people. God did a great thing. God squashed the rebellion of Absalom. David is 29, sitting on the throne again in Jerusalem. He is ruling from his rightful place. In essence, what happened is God did a miracle that only God could do. It's not a miracle that anybody else could do. It was not a miracle that could be contrived of man. David did not win this battle because he he had some great military expertise. I mean, he was literally running for his life in the rebellion of Absalom. When we moved here, I just like sharing this story. There were any number of folks who said, Chris, we don't think you'll ever make it there. That was not an encouragement, by the way. When somebody steps out by faith, please don't tell them, we think you're going to fail. But that's what was told us. And it was kind of reinforced over and over again. Some people said this. There was one of the things that I can remember people saying. California is just too weird. They don't let, that was supposed to be funny. I guess it wasn't. You guys are like, oh, they really said that. They won't like Baptist in California. And I thought they don't really like Baptist in Texas either, but whatever. 
The cost of living is just too high. I, I agreed with that. The cost of living is too high. You're too young. I agree with that. I'm almost 50 now. I still feel like I'm way too young. <laughs> People told us this all the time. You'll never own a home. You'll never own a home. You're going to California. I'm going to tell you right now, you will never own a home. I had some people say, how dare you put your wife in a place where you'll never own a home? You'll never have a church building. You'll never. I mean, I heard that time and again. Why go there? You should go, to, you should go to Arkansas. You should go to the South. You should go to the Midwest. Thank God those prayers were not answered. <laughs> you should go to all of these different places because you'll, you'll never have a church building. And people say this, you'll never be a success, Chris, until you have a church building. And I can remember saying in anger to them, not in Christ-like anger, Probably not. In Chris-like anger, I said to them this. God didn't call me there to buy buildings or houses or change people from being less weird. God called me there to impact a city with the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ability that he's given me. And they said, yeah, that's great. We're not going to help you. I said, great. We moved here and it wasn't long before we saw how massive the work would be. I can remember uh, the, trying to find a building to meet. See, Debbie and I moved here. We, we moved across the country from Amarillo, Texas to San Diego, and we had a yellow Hertz Penske 26-foot moving truck. Giant yellow thing. It looks like the world's largest bumblebee, if you've ever seen one driving down the road. I mean, it was awesome, and it was fun to drive. And we had a pink Ford Escort. So we had a pink Ford Escort and a yellow uh, Hertz Penske truck. We look like tropical starbursts driving down the road. I mean, no lie. I mean, it was interesting. People would drive by us, and they're giving us the thumbs up. Like, why the thumbs up? I didn't realize it was because of the artistic nature of our vehicles. I mean, it was just really, really odd. And so we moved here, and we arrived in San Diego on September 19th, 2002. And we had no idea where we were going to live. We had no idea where we would have church. And we had 20,000 whole dollars to last us really the rest of our life. Started ministry with, again, which is nothing. And, and we just were praying, God, you got to open a door. God, if you don't come through, we're not going to make it. God, you have to give, give the victory in this. And God, if, if a victory is had, it's, it's so daunting humanly, Lord, that you will get all of the glory and you will get all of the praise. Because nobody can look at this and go, oh, Chris and Debbie, look how smart they are. No, it's not smart to move to the second most expensive city in the U.S. with $20,000. It's not smart to only get and be paid $1,800 a month of support. I'd sold a, a, a very profitable profitable business in Texas to a friend of mine, and I sold it to him for a dollar because he had helped us build it. And so, I mean, we had nothing to speak of, and we're like, God, if you don't come through, we're through. And so we moved September 19th. I'll never forget it. Arrived at my friend's house who lived over in Sarah Mesa back then, and he's long since moved away. And and pulled our, our yellow submarine moving van right up next to his house. And it was Thursday. We got there about 3 o'clock. We jumped in his car about 20 minutes after we got there. And we started looking all over San Diego for a place to rent. You remember, you remember the ads in the newspaper? How many remember newspapers? And uh, we had ads in the newspaper, and we're looking through them. Couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything. Driving all over town, couldn't find anything. I remember on Saturday, we're driving through Sarah Mesa, 
And we see this house, it says for rent on it. And we walked up, Debbie walked up and said to the owner, she said, hey, is the house for rent? He said, well, not yet. She said, well, when's it going to become available? He said, well, I've got some work to do. It'll probably be, a, you know, next week or something. Debbie, I, I don't know how Debbie got into this negotiation thing that day. I was somewhere else. She was there, and she said, hey, my family and I, we desperately need a place to stay. My, my husband's here. We're starting a church in San Diego. Would you please let us rent your house? And he said, oh, well, we're renting it for $1,800 a month. He said, can you afford that? And, and Debbie, Debbie had so much faith and still does. She's such a woman of faith. She goes, oh, yeah, my dad, he's got plenty of money. <laughs> Your dad? She goes, yeah, you know, God's our heavenly father. I'm like, oh, so you didn't lie, but technically you probably did. But good, good job, good job. I'm proud of you. You've never lied before in your life, so way to go, way to go. You could have made college more fun had you done this more often. And so... And so the guy, they rented us their house. We took a week to move in. Literally, we took five days to move in. Moved in on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. We, we got everything squared away, had a good time doing it, learned what San Diego burritos were. Never had had one before in my life. It was an awesome experience. And then the following Monday, we began to look for a building. Those of you that were around in 2002, you remember that was the beginning of the housing bubble and the commercial real estate bubble that would eventually burst in 2008. Everybody wanted a premium price for everything. So I started at 10 o'clock on Monday morning because I figured nobody would want to talk to me at 9 o'clock as soon as they opened. So from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock all day Monday, I looked for a building. I got told no every time. Tuesday morning, started again, 10 o'clock. Lord, this is the day you've made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Give us a building today and we'll give you glory. All day Tuesday, same thing, nothing happened. Wednesday, looked for a building all day, 10 to 4, nothing happened. Thursday, 10 to 4, nothing happened. Friday, 10 to 4, nothing happened. Uh, not Saturday or Sunday, but the following Monday, 10 to 4, nothing happened. Following Tuesday, 10 to 4, nothing happened. I mean, I'm going everywhere. I, I'm going to the strip mall. I'm going to semi-industrial complexes. I'm going all over the San Diego area. We didn't even know where we were going to start. I'm going to churches and I'm saying, hey, our church will be better than your church. Would you give us your building? Or we'll rent it or we'll buy it. Or could we meet in the afternoon or anything? And pastors were like, yeah, maybe you could meet between 3 and 3.30 on the third Sunday of every other month. And we're like, yeah, that's not going to work for us. And so we went to churches. We went to strip malls. We, we went everywhere we possibly could. I checked out school. And, and, and recreation centers. I'm looking everywhere. And I was told no 69 times. 69 times. If you did the hours, I was dead. Probably each one probably took about an hour of negotiation. And then you're told no. I can remember I was right up here on the corner of Arrow Drive and Kearneyville Road. I was driving south or east, I should say. I was driving east. I'd been told no 68 times times. And we're watching the, the money dwindle. We're now in our third week. We have nowhere to meet, nowhere to go. And you ever have those doubts that people have spoken into your life that start coming to like reality? This is what I mean by this. We're driving down the road and this is what I start hearing in my head. We told you you'd never find a building. We told you you wouldn't succeed. He told you San Diego was too expensive. Good try. 
Just go back home. You can live with your parents, which is a fate worse, worse than death. Go back home. Live with your parents. Figure out what you're going to do. Many people have come to California and tried and failed. It won't be too bad. And I'm just hearing this in my head over and over again. I pulled over but what is by now the La Petite French School that's over there. And I just began to pray. And it was really not really much of a prayer. It was more of like a grown 30-year-old young man weeping in a borrowed vehicle begging God to do something. Like, God, I, I don't know what you sent me here for. God, I, I, I have no idea why I'm in San Diego. If you don't provide for us some place to meet, we, we can't just meet in the park and we, we don't have a house big enough. And, and Lord, you, you've got to come through for us. I'm pleading with you, Lord. Please come through for, uh, we already had a church named Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. Lord, we're, we're pleading with you to do something. And God, didn't answer my prayer with a ray of light. Realtor didn't walk up and hand me the keys to this building. Nothing supernatural happened, but I just felt impressed of the Lord to go to the Sarah Mesa Rec Center. If you don't know where Sarah Mesa Rec Center is, it's over in Sarah Mesa, about three miles from here and, and three and a half miles from this location. And I drove over to the Sarah Rec and I hadn't checked that rec center before. I checked all the other ones in the area. wasn't sure why I hadn't checked that one. And I walked in and I met the manager. I introduced myself and said, hey, I'm, I'm Chris Chadwick and I'm the uh, pastor at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church. He's like, oh, I haven't heard of your church before. <laughs> yeah, we're brand new. Oh, when did you start? Well, we haven't yet. And I'm looking for a building. He goes, let me stop you right there. We don't have one. Well, no, you do. It's right here. I mean, I was desperate. It's right here. He goes, well, we don't have something big enough for you. I'm like, bro, let me be honest with you. Our church consists of four people and two have to come because they're my kids. So it's plenty big enough. He goes, no, no, we don't have anybody that wants to work on Sunday. We have no one that wants to work on Sunday. Nobody will work on Sunday. So no, you're kind of out of it. And, I, and this is what I did. You ever been in, the, in this place? This is what I did. I was like, he goes, he goes, hey, I need to tell you something, though. He said, I, I need to tell you that the Kearney Mesa Rec Center has spots available for churches. I said, no, they don't. I was just there last week. And they told me, no, they already had two churches that were meeting there. He said, yeah, well, I just got a call. He goes, not even an hour ago. I just got a call from the manager there. Her name's Denise. Both churches called and said they're not going to be meeting there anymore starting next Sunday. This will be their last Sunday. So in a couple of weeks, they'll be totally free. Why don't you go over there and see if you can rent that? I thought, are you serious? He goes, yeah. I had a cell phone. Brand, I'd never used a cell phone before. I called her number because I thought the guy might be just trying to get me out of his business, you know, out of, out of his rec center. So I called. This lady, Denise, answered. I told her who I was. She was very curt. She's like, yes, we'll have space available, but it's first come, first serve. So if you don't get here before somebody else, you won't have a place to meet. I was like, well, thank you, Gestapo Denise. I'll be right over. Hung up the phone, jumped in the, the truck that I was borrowing, and literally made that three miles in about four and a half minutes, pulled up to the Kearney Rec Center. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving rubber as I break into the parking stall. I run in. And this is not an exaggeration. I'm looking, because if anybody else is walking in, I'm tackling them. I figure God's going to give a victory. He'll use me to do it. Sorry, bro. You had a good church too, but I broke your leg. It's first come, first serve. I run in, I introduce myself. I, I, she says, well, do you want to you know, rent it? I said, yeah, let me sign a contract. She goes, do you want to see it first? Oh, yeah, I should probably do that. So she showed me around to the Kearney Mesa Rec Center. 
And this is what she showed me some pictures of. Now, we put the seats up, but it was a tiny little room about the size of our platform, maybe a little bit bigger. And then we, she said, now listen, pastor, she said, if you rent this from us, I'll throw in the kitchen for free. I said, really, the kitchen for free? She said, yeah, you're going to need a place to put the kids. And I thought, that's a bright idea. They've got built-in little racks you can put babies on and just leave the oven open. And so <laughs> we rented, no lie, we rented the Kearney Mesa Rec Center. And five weeks later, November 17th, 2002, we held our very first service. This is my friend Jay Nepomuceno. We sang bad songs. We had bad sound. We didn't know what we were doing. I preached a horribly bad message. But this is what we had. We had the Lord. And God came through for us as he always does. Our text in Psalm 129 tells us that we are to praise the Lord for the personal victories he gives us in our lives. Some of you have victories in your life and you think you did it. Some of you have victories in your life and you think you're the reason for it. Sometimes we begin to contemplate like, oh, how smart am I? But notice what the scripture says, given to the Lord, O ye mighty. The word mighty here is a word for angels or heavenly beings. The psalmist is teaching us even the angels need to give honor and glory to the Lord and to worship the Lord. Verse number two, in the beauty of his holiness, that means to fall down before him in humility and, and to give him what he deserves. Who's supposed to do this? Everyone, the mighty, the human, the Christian. We are all supposed to give the Lord the glory or the honor that he deserves for coming through. Whether you were here at our first service or you've come somewhere along the way, there's any sense of spirituality about you. You can't help but praise the Lord for the work he's done at Canyon Ranch. Give the Lord praise. For the personal victories in your life. For the personal victories in your life. You don't want to change your life tomorrow. It's if you wake up and just thank the Lord for what he's done in your life. Well, but pastor, my life's not where I want it to be. Can I be honest with you? It's never going to be where you want it to be if you're a Christian until you're with the Lord. But he's still giving you a lot of personal victories. You ever notice how catchy a critical spirit is? How easy it is to be critical about everything all the time. How quickly we can become critical because of this or that. I mean, have you ever sat yourself down at a really nice restaurant and you're eating good food, but you, you find the one piece of brown on the lettuce? And that becomes the focus of your life. Can I be so candid with you and so encouraging to you this morning as to tell you God's doing great things in your life and he's doing far greater than we imagine, especially if we would stop looking for the negative and start looking for all that he is and has done. 
Praise the Lord, not only for the personal victories in your life. Verses 3 through 10, praise the Lord because of his absolute power. Notice verse number 3 of our text, Psalm 29. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like the young unicorns. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever." This is one of the most distinctive affirmations of God's power over nature. Now, why did the psalmist list us? Well, in Palestine, in that region of the world, the people of the land, the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, if you will, of the land, commonly attributed all of the forces of nature to Baal. And the psalmist is declaring with great clarity that God is over nature and that it's just the voice of the Lord. God created the waters and God is in control of the waters and the glory of the Lord thundereth upon many waters. Imagine David sitting out in, in, uh, outside of the Mediterranean Sea and just watching the beauty of the storms that come over and the beauty of the Mediterranean Sea right there in what would be modern-day Tel Aviv and that region and David understanding that God is the creator and God is the sustainer and it is God that brought the waters. It is God that brings the rain to a people that desperately needed water, to a people that, that, that were so appreciative of the water. David is helping them to understand it is God who does all of this. After God won the victory and defeated the insurrection, David wanted to point people's attention not to himself, not to his military leaders like Joab, but to the, to the awesome, mighty power of God and the power of God over nature. I'm told, I'm told by people who study these things, and I am not one, I just read them. But that fog that is so dense that can bring all of the Upper East Side of Manhattan to a standstill meaning that they won't drive cars, you can't see hardly in front of your face, businesses wouldn't open, that if you took all of that fog and you condensed it, it would be less than 16 ounces of water. Who controls the fog? The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I, I, I love the military might of the United States and so thankful for so many of you who have served our country and are serving our country. I'm, I'm just humbled and honored by that. But may we never forget that it is the Lord that is over nature. And just with nature alone, he can defeat any military foe there is. Do we, we can look at even some tragedies of this world, tsunamis that happen, earthquakes that happen, forest fires that happen. And here's what the psalmist is saying. God is over all of that. 
prophetically, this psalm looks forward to the day when the Lord Jesus will come as the king and sweeps his enemy away, enemies away with the outpouring of his wrath. And how is that outpouring of his wrath going to be? Throughout Scripture, we understand that the vast majority of his wrath is going to be seen throughout nature. Famine, pestilence, floods. Here's what we have to understand this morning. We serve a God who is absolutely powerful in every way. Absolutely powerful. Be it hurricanes or floods or snowstorms or blistering heat and drought, God's power is always seen through nature. And maybe I need to preach this because of the blistering heat of today. Who would have thought November 14th it'd be like 90 degrees outside on a Sunday? But it could be 40, so we're thankful. I want to say with candor that the work that's been done at Canyon Ridge is not a work of Chris and Debbie Chadwick, nor a work of our pastoral staff, nor a work of the church body, though we've all worked together for sure to bring honor to the Lord. No doubt about that. What we have here today is a work of God. It's the Lord who has done the work. We serve an amazing God. That's why it's so foolish to fight him. That's why it's so nonsensical to think that you'll figure out a way around his way. It's, it's why, I'm not trying to be candid, we all struggle with this, don't we? That's why it's laughable to think that when he wants you to climb a mountain, you don't have to. Sometimes he wants you to climb a mountain because he knows what's coming down the road. I'm no different than anybody in this room. I don't think any of us are different. I want mountains to move that he wants me to climb. I want easy living. I don't want the insurrection of Absalom. Even if the insurrection brings ultimate glory to God. I don't want to have to admit my failures in my marriage. I don't mind admitting Debbie's. I don't want to have to change. Because I want everybody to know and I want to live in such a way that I feel good about who I am. But here's what the psalmist is helping us to understand. The psalmist wants God to know that he completely and totally and absolutely trusts in the Lord. So if he's got a mountain he wants me to climb, then I need to climb that mountain. If, if, if he's got a problem I need to face, then for my sanctification, I need to face that problem. Here's what some people say. I know what God wants me to do. I just don't want to do it. What, you think you're going to win? Do I think I'm going to win? I mean, I've got to make this message applicable to our lives. Praise God because of his power. And in his power, listen to me, in his absolute power, he is bringing you to places where if you will submit to him, you'll become more like Christ. And if you resist him, then you'll lose the battle. 
You can't win the battle. I can't win the battle. I can't win the victory if I'm fighting against what the Lord wants. That's why I look out in the crowd this morning and I'm thinking of marriages, I'm thinking of situations, I'm thinking of people, I'm thinking of struggles. And, and, and one of the things that I, I see today is, is that we want God's power in our life to give us the easy road, but we don't want God's power in our life to help us to climb the mountains that only He can give us victory in. Sometimes just having a companion along the way makes all the difference in the world. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor and a twofold cord is not quickly broken. When you're walking with the Lord, you just, you're on the winning side. Thursday was Veterans Day. And I don't know why when God led us to Canyon Ridge, he, he led me to fall in love with doing really stupid hard things and hiring staff members that kind of like doing the same thing. And so on Thursday, it was Veterans Day, and, and we have a staff workout together that we work out. And though we were off on Veterans Day, uh, I said, hey, I, I said to Zane Garza, our youth pastor, I said, hey, do you, do you want to work out tomorrow? And he's like, have you seen the workout? And I was like, I remember it being hard, but I hadn't seen it. He goes, oh, it's terrible. We should do it. And I said, should we really? I don't even know where Zane's at in the room today. If, if he's, oh, he's, he's in the back in the fetal position. Um, and uh, I was like, really? He goes, yeah. I said, well, what, workout, what, what time do you want to do it? He goes, let's do 9 o'clock. So I said, okay. I said, well, if you can get Bernie to do it, then I'll do it with you. And so, so, so Bernie did it, and then John did it, and then the interns had to do it. And then Debbie's going to do it. And I thought, well, if all of them are going to do it, then I better do it. And, and here's the workout. Here's what we had to do. We had to go to a box. It's about this high. This is 22 inches. Our box was 20 inches high. Zane and I had to wear 40-pound vests. We had 40-pound vests on. And we had to step up and down off the box a thousand times. Like, like, like 500 times 2. 999 plus 1. And this is what I thought. I don't want to do anything for a thousand times. Maybe a thousand donuts. I can have that competition. That sounds fun, but this does not sound fun. And so I got there, and I got there a little late because I couldn't find parking, and I got there a little bit late, and I walked in the gym, and everybody had a box but me, and so, so I'm working out with Zane Garza. Now, those of you that don't know Zane, he's 30 years old. He's a ripe young age of 30, same age I was when we started Canyon Ridge. The hardest thing he's doing is this workout. <sighs> And so, so I'm with Zane, but he's 168 pounds and he, he thinks that he's pretty fit and he's way fitter than I am at these type of workouts, no doubt about it. And so I told him, I said, listen, just go your pace. Whenever you're tired, I'll just do one. <sighs> and I figured we could do it together. And he just looked at me with that look of like a little brother, like, if you do that, I'm going to talk trash about you for the rest of your life. So we started doing it. It was like we were dancing together and he would go and I would go and he would go and I would go. And it was like we were in one of those like pumps back in the, you know, the, the, the water pumps back in the day on the, on the old fire engines. And so he would go and I would go and he would go and I would go and he would go and I would go. And I'm just looking and this is what I'm thinking. This is what I thought. No lie. This is what I thought. If Garza wasn't here, I'd be taking breaks. And then I began to pray, God, God, I don't want to get injured, but can Zane pull something? 
And then I thought about pushing him, like, get off of here, stop it. And so we we're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and I thought I kept up pretty well in the first one. I was at 86 when he was at 100. He's wearing a vest, I'm wearing a vest, but I carry my vest with me. It's just part of my being, if you know what I mean. I, I weigh 100 pounds more than Zane does, so I was doing the math in my head, and I'm like, well, actually, I'm like 100 ahead of him in total energy output. And he's up there, and he's just talking like, hey, Pastor, when we're done, you want to get a Slurpee together? And what do you think? Here's my kids. And, and Kelly and I, we're going to go dancing this afternoon. What are you and Debbie going to do? I'm like, we're going to die. That's what we're going to do. Never going to make it. And Zane and I went together for the first probably five, six hundred and uh, of his time. I was about 110 by the time he was at 500. And, and no, seriously, I was really close. And then somebody quit, like they, they were done. And I got my own box. Let me tell you what my performance did. I went from peak performance to punk performance. I'm taking breaks. I'm standing in front of fans. I'm drinking water. I'm, no lie, I'm eating gummy bears. And Zane's just over there stepping up, stepping down. How you doing, Pastor? I am doing good. <laughs> When I quit working with you, this isn't that bad. And I'm going and I'm going. I'm at like 750, 800. And Zane goes, done. And this is what I thought, Vern. This is what I thought. No lie. I'd be done too if I worked that hard. And then I thought this. I'd probably be done too if I kept working with Zane. But because I got rid of my partner... My performance diminished. You know why most of you who struggle with walking with the Lord and serving the Lord on a regular basis, you know why you struggle? You're trying to figure out how to do it all on your own without the power of God. You read a few biblical principles. You tried to find a few biblical ideas. You want to come to church on Sunday morning and, and you're like, okay, I'm going to apply that to my life. No, friend, here's, what, here's the story of Canyon Ridge and here's the story of your Christian success. Just following the Lord trusting in his absolute power, and every victory you have in your life, giving him praise for it. Look at this verse, verse number 11. The generosity of God. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Strength, the word means power. It depicts the Lord as the one who is giving strength and the power by which he leads his people. God will give strength. Pastor, I could never do it. I know you can't, but God will do it. God will do it. Pastor, I don't know that my kids will ever come back to serving the Lord. Well, they're probably not going to if you keep trying to talk them into it. But if you start talking to God about your kids as opposed to your kids about God, there's no telling what he will do. Psalm 138, verse number 3, the Bible says, In the day when I cried, thou answeredest me, and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Isaiah 40, 29, He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he, increased, he increaseth strength. Isaiah 40, 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 41, 10, 
Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 16. But that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. God wants to strengthen you. Did you hear what I just said? God wants to strengthen you. He wants to give you strength. But if you're trying to find strength in your human endeavors, it's going to be an absolute failure. God wants to give you strength as you are dependent on him. What are you doing in your life right now that demands the Lord strengthen you? What step of faith, what big move for Christ are you doing that demands God strengthen you or you'll be an absolute failure? I think sometimes we become way too comfortable in our world. When Canyon Ridge started, it was either, God, you do a work or we'll fail miserably. We have no money. We have no staff. We have no talent. It's me and Debbie. And Lord, if you don't do something, nothing's going to happen. I think sometimes our church is like, well, now we have a building and now we have people. And every once in a while, people get saved. But church, what are we even doing That demands God do something so amazing to show his power that we can't help but understand his generosity and proclaim his goodness to the children of men. For some of you, it's witnessing to your neighbor. Some of you live next to the same person for days, weeks, months, or years, and you've never shared the gospel with them. Well, I'm not sure how they'll respond. You need the Lord. For some of you, it might be starting a business so that you can live off of that business and then take the lion's share of your time and devote it to ministry. For some of you, it's growing to the point of being able to teach a community Bible study or attend church and, or attend college, get a job and be a faithful church member all at the same time. I just have to ask this question. What are you doing to see God's power? And when you see God's power, are you expressing that and understanding it is because of his generous goodness in your life? The story of Canyon Ridge is not Chris and Debbie moving to San Diego. The story of Canyon Ridge is God burning the heart of two really not very productive people and saying, go there and I'll do a work through you. And prayerfully, a little bit of work has been done in 19 years. And our prayer is that a far greater work will be done in the next 19 years. And as we understand his power and depend on his blessing, it will. I was reading a book this week, and it was talking about a, a famous man in London. During the Industrial Revolution, about 30% of children in London were homeless. No one to care for them. The state didn't really take care of them. They would either, either live in work camps where they basically just sold their soul to the to the company and they, they child forced child labor and coal mines and textile mills and the like. And, and it austere conditions at best, very, very difficult. Or they would just run around in, in ur- what was called urchin street gangs, and they would, they would steal things and just try to survive. That's what they would try to do. They would just try to survive. Well, there's a man, just a man, a church member, if you will, who got a burden to reach and help these kids. His name was George Mueller. George Mueller felt led of the Lord to start an orphanage. 
And so that's what he did. He started an orphanage. And he, he was an interesting fellow. I wouldn't do anything that George Mueller did because his life of faith is far greater than mine, just being honest. And George Mueller said, I'm going to start an orphanage and I'm going to pray, but I'm only going to tell God what my needs are what my needs are. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put out a letter. I'm not going to tell anybody. If people ask me, I'll, I'll tell them if they feel led of the Lord to help, help. And not everybody should do that, but Mueller, George Mueller felt led of the Lord to do that. And so he did. By the end of his life, this is the, this is the story that Mueller helped raise over 10,000 orphans. And he prayed in, in modern day terms, I just read the numbers this week. He prayed in well over half a billion dollars in resources never having told one person one time about the needs. The story is told of George Mueller. The story is told of him that he would sit the boys down at an orphanage and they would have no food and he would begin to pray and ask God to bless the food. And the staff would come to him and say, Mr. Mueller, we have no food to bless. And he said, but God does. And they would tell stories of like in the middle of his prayer, somebody would come and knock on the orphanage door and they would bring in what we would call pallets of food in and no one knew other than George Mueller and God. Somebody was reading through, uh, getting ready to start a little series on, on how to pray through the Psalms starting next Sunday night. You need to be here for it. Let me rephrase, you need to be here for it. Every Christian I know goes, I don't know how to pray. And then your pastor's like, I'm going to teach a series on Psalms, how to pray. But what do we got going on that night? You got learning how to be a prayer warrior through the book of Psalms. That's what you've got going on. George Mueller began to pray, and he kept journals of all of his prayer requests. They say he prayed over 50,000 prayer requests in his life by his journal. The last about 15 years of his life, God answered or what would that be? The last 50 years of his life, God answered over 500 prayer requests within the day that he prayed them. He said it's a tribute that God answered 50,000 prayers of George Mueller, and 30,000 of them were answered the very day that he prayed them over the story of his life. Can I tell you that George Mueller understood something about the generosity of God? He understood something about the absolute power of God. And he understood something that verse number 11 teaches us. He understood something about the peace of God. The word peace is that common Hebrew word shalom. And it means, it's often used as a greeting, but it means peace in the time of struggle, peace in the difficulty, or peace that only God can give you. 52 weeks a year for 19 years, we've tried to share with the lost and dying world and believers alike how they can have peace with God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the way that you can have peace with God is understanding that you're a sinner, acknowledging that before God, and not trying to earn your way to salvation, not praying, not going to confession, not doing last rites, none of that, not trying to earn it, but by simply putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you're the Son of God. And by faith, I don't know everything about you and I never will, but by faith, I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. 
Jesus said in John chapter 14, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. The world's peace is fleeting. The world's peace is dependent. It's dependent on your circumstances. It's dependent on your bank account. It's dependent on how your boss feels about you. It's dependent on your living conditions. It's dependent on the weather. But the peace of God is dependent on one fundamental thing, the absolute power of God to control and and maintain the condition of your eternal soul. Well, pastor, I'd like to have that peace. Then today receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Then today put your trust in him. The psalmist was able to have this glowing psalm because he had been in a difficult circumstance, because there was a mountain he wanted moved that God wanted him to climb. And when he, climbed, when, the, when he topped the mountain, it was not, look at what I've done. It was, God, look at what you have done. Because I know, this is what the psalmist would say, I know I could not succeed if it wasn't for you getting the victory. And Christian brother or sister, Canyon Ridge Baptist Church, this is who we are. We're going to do some things in the next 19 years that are so God-centered and faith-motivated that we might fail at some things, but we're not going to just sit back and go, well, we've made it. I'd, I'd rather die moving than I would sitting on the couch. And we're just going to keep moving forward for the Lord. You say, what are we going to do next year? Some pretty cool things for Jesus. What if they don't all work out? They won't. But we're not going to sit back and wonder. We're just going to keep trying for the Lord. We're going to keep moving for the Lord. We're going to keep taking steps of faith. We're not going to live a comfortable life going, oh, man, we don't want anybody to think we're strange. I want the world to think we're a little bit different. I, I, I want to be a little bit counterculture to a world that's going insane. I want the world to know that we believe in a God who answers prayer. We believe in an all-powerful God. We believe in a God who can heal. We believe in a God who saves. We believe in a God who loves. We believe in a God who gives peace. We've always believed that. We've been a little too quiet about it. Let me rephrase it. I've been a little bit too quiet about it. We we need to amp up the, the glorification to the Lord, letting the whole world know we serve an awesome, mighty, powerful God. That's who we serve. But it all starts with salvation. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, give him your life today. Give him your life today. If you're here today and you know Christ, maybe some of you are younger couples and God's calling you to do something awesome for him and vocational ministry or to step up by faith in an area of giving or to step up by faith in an area of discipleship and, and, and maybe to take a short-term missions trip somewhere and you're thinking, oh, I could never do that. No, with an all-powerful God, you can How's it all going to come to pass? Here's the cool thing. I don't have to know. I don't have to know. Pastor, you just saying take a leap of faith? Oh, yeah. Why? Because that's the story of living for Christ. That's where we see the generosity of God is when we step out by faith and do what he tells us to do. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. We look forward to seeing you.